Welcome, welcome, welcome in to Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney. Happy Tuesday. And for me, it's back back to the grind. Back to reality for Mr. Hatch. Yeah. You know, the, the funny thing is, uh, so we left, it was snowing after uh, going to Florida for uh-huh. a couple days. And then... When we got back, of course, we have whatever is happening now. Yeah, which just is thankfully not as bad as they said it would be. Usually, it never is, but it's still pretty slick on side roads, sidewalks, stuff like that, intersections. But over the weekend in Florida, there was a wind chill advisory. Oh joy! Yes. Now you said uh, you guys, you really had to bundle up. Down yeah, there. we had to wear our coats at times. Oh, I feel bad which for was, you. You said it. What was it? Was forty nine? Yeah, that was, a was like an, yeah, that was a wind chill advice. <laughs> <laughs> Different world down there. Yeah, it is indeed. Uh, thanks for joining us. Coming up on the show today, a lot we're going to dive into. Zach Eating nearing a, a record accomplishment. Mike Woodson, interesting comments last night on the Inside IU Basketball show with Mike Woodson, uh, the IU Coaches Show. We'll get to uh, some of his comments. Plus, Marcus Freeman hits another recruiting milestone for Notre Dame. And we'll talk a little more IU in hour number one. Mike Woodson's biggest mistake and has nothing to do with what's happened on the court this season. We'll get to that about 8.05. Debating the NFL's worst rule, thumbs up or thumbs down. I say worst in quotes. Uh, Also, this is somehow not a bigger story in sports, but one of the playoff and, and Super Bowl contenders almost lured Tom Brady out of retirement. We'll get to that after 8.30. And before we leave you, uh, all the rage of late is on this one particular retail item, and a woman has now been arrested, accused of shoplifting said item in California. We'll get yes, to that at the end um, of the show. I've heard about this. I'm not surprised. No, me neither. But that that's where we're at. 46862 is the text line number. Again, 46862. I am back, ready to go. Nice couple days in Florida. Uh, back to reality, though, in cold Indiana in the winter. Uh, you can also stream us, 1380thefan.com, via the 1380 The Fan app. That's free for you to download or on your smart speaker as well. And with that, Justin, let's get to headlines. Let's do it. And we'll start, as always, in the NFL, because there always seems to be something going on in the NFL. And we start with TV ratings for the divisional round. And ESPN got their... Best ever uh, rating for an NFL game on their network. So that's that's stat number one. Then you had Bucks Lions, most watched NFL divisional playoff game since '94 on NBC, forty point four million viewers. That's the most since uh, the Olympics. Um, and then uh, we had let's see, what was the other? The other big rating, I mean, the NFL is king, right? And nothing's going to change that. But it's just the numbers continue to get higher and higher and higher. And you just wonder, like, is there a, a, a tipping point? Because I don't know if there is. No, I don't think so. Not right now. And considering that game, the Tampa Bay Lions game, was not really the quote-unquote sexy game of the weekend either. No. And it brought in as much as it did. Um, just... Pretty wild. The the San Francisco, the 49ers Packers game projected to bring in 37.5 million viewers uh, from early returns. That would be the most watched telecast on a Saturday of any network since the 94 Olympics, like you mentioned. Uh, just, just 
pretty pretty astounding what the NFL is doing. Texans, Ravens, nearly 32 million viewers. ESPN's most watched NFL game ever. Uh, again, the numbers just continue to tell a story that is just incredible because you look at other sports and they're dropping. The NFL, of course, is growing, and that's just the reality. Elsewhere in the league, Zach Ertz uh, has a new home. He will sign with the Lions and be available this week. It's so oh, really? weird, right, that, that they can do that. Well, I mean, you kind of look at it like your playoff roster in baseball or hockey where it, cha- it can change every series. So um, pretty interesting in terms of the, the injury and, and the struggles of Sam Laporta and whether he'll ever be 100% uh, for the remainder of the playoffs. So adding some insurance with Zach Ertz. And Brock Wright, who sustained a forearm injury. So uh, they're just, like you said, adding more insurance. And Ertz was released by the Cardinals back in November. Wanted to make a run at a second Super Bowl ring. So he won one with the Eagles a few years back. Uh, for that team, but now trying to get back, and uh, he will sign with the practice squad that will likely be elevated in time for the game. You know, I wanted to come back come back to, to TV ratings mm-hmm. for the NFL real quick. I just wanted to ask you, why do you think the NFL has become as powerful as it has? Because you listen to this show, you listen to, or look on social media and other shows, like, all people do is complain about the NFL. Where yeah. games are being broadcast, the referees, uh, you know, uh, in it's terms rigged. of calls. Yeah, it's rigged. There are calls, no calls, uh, players that they like, dislike. Like, all people do is complain, yet everybody watches. Yeah, that, that's pretty astounding. That's kind of a, a greater picture of society, right? So it's, uh, but I just, I, I don't know exactly how, how football got here. It's not that much changed from 30 years ago. Eh, I, I would say the game has changed a lot in terms of what's done offensively. Is is there's been more yeah. offense? The the advent of the spread offense in the beginning, and now there are a bunch of different variations of that. But that was a big start. I mean, you had quarterbacks as opposed to running backs become star players going back 20 years ago, and that to me feels like the the shift. And then they changed the rules. To make it more friendly for passing games and uh you have that plus baseball's wiped out 94 season and that's i think how we got to where we're at it's definitely been a quite the ascension for the nfl and it's not going any anywhere anytime soon and also throwing the nba their peak era the 90s well the nfl was kind of finding their footing during that era they, they did at the end but then the nba had a massive drop off in interest and popularity after jordan retired you had baseball, they had a brief blip, you know, with the home run steroid era, but then it's been the NFL since. Seems like a perfect storm of the NFL doing all the right things and other sports doing all the wrong things. Yes, I, I think it, it does go both ways, right? It, it's They've taken advantage of other sports failures, and I think that's been key. Elsewhere in the NFL, Jim Harbaugh set to meet with the Chargers again this week. I've can the Chargers well, just hire him so we can be? I get that they have to it. go through the process and check the boxes, but this seems like all but a done deal. Hopefully, they're coming back around to say, "All right, we did all our required due diligence for other candidates. <laughs> now we can actually hire you." The or Panthers at least make an offer. Offer yes, the Panthers 
promoting uh, former linebacker Dan Morgan to general manager. This is only notable because he was already on staff with the team. So really not shaking sure things is, up in yeah, Carolina. Not sure how that's going to help. He was the assistant GM under Scott Fitter. Uh, meanwhile, another coaching uh, hire, the Titans nearing a deal with Brian Callahan, the Bengals offensive coordinator. So you fire Mike Vrabel. Yeah. For Brian Callahan. I just, I don't understand. Okay. Something tells me they, they either were were fed up with Vrabel internally or, or they v- didn't want to pay the money. I, I think it was more the former. I think there was a lot of conflict with Mike between Mike Vrabel and front office. I think it, it started with uh, the trading of A.J. Brown and it just got worse and worse and worse from there. But I, I, I'm not against Brian Callahan by any means. I'm just saying if you got Mike Vrabel... Uh, I, I think he's much more qualified than, than Brian Callahan. But that's me. I would agree. And then Tommy Reese uh, expected to be named the Cleveland Browns tight ends coach. Man, what a whirlwind for Tommy Reese. Huh? Offensive coordinator in Notre Dame, offensive coordinator in Alabama, now coaching tight ends in Cleveland. <laughs> and just another it guy sounds in, the, like the, in the cog of the machine now. Yeah, it just it sounds like the premise of a new sitcom coming this, this uh, fall to ABC is <laughs> a, a, st- a former college quarterback Falls on hard times and returns to, uh, or goes to Cleveland to try to resurrect his coaching career. No, I mean it's a, it's a head, co- it's a head coach. It's a position coach job in the NFL. It's it's a good job. It's just uh, it's been an interesting couple of years for Tommy Reese to say the least. Yes, absolutely, no doubt. Uh, elsewhere in headlines this morning, we get to the NBA. A wild night in the association. Joel Embiid dropped a franchise record seventy points for the 76ers as they beat the Spurs 133-123. to 123. Poor, poor Victor Wimbanyama had a great performance, 33 points for the Spurs. Yes. But, uh, obviously, all anyone is talking about is what Embiid did for the Sixers. Then you have the counterpoint, the Timberwolves. Carl Anthony Towns, uh, franchise record 44 points at halftime of this game. He finished with 62, but they lost to the lowly Charlotte Hornets, one twenty eight to one twenty five. Both of these performances on the eighteenth anniversary of Kobe's Eddie yes. eighty one point game, which I thought was pretty cool, and uh, both showing out. Of course, one not getting a win. And a couple notable stats. First off, for Embiid, seventy points. Uh, he went twenty four of forty one. Passed Wilt Chamberlain for the all time seventy sixers franchise record in points in a single game. That's not too that's bad. Doing a lot of Will did some decent things. Yeah. Uh, also, Embiid became the ninth player in NBA history to score seventy points or more in a game. And then yesterday was the first day with multiple sixty-point games since April 9th, nineteen seventy-eight. David Thompson with seventy-three. George Gervin with sixty-three. There have never been multiple sixty-five-point games on a single day in NBA mm. history. So it was close, but only sixty-two for Carl Anthony Towns. Pretty impressive, and uh, Joel Embiid. I mean, he's he's the MVP, right? I mean, yeah, so far. I, I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. The number of players have recorded multiple sixty-point games in their career. This is the first one for Joel Embiid. Mm-hmm. This is actually the second for Carl Anthony Towns, which is hard to believe, right? I mean, he's a good player, but I think of him as kind of a second tier, not on that top tier. So the other ones have recorded multiple 60-point games in their career. So Carl Anthony Towns with two, Elgin Baylor with three, James Harden with four, MJ with four, Damian Lillard with five, 
Kobe was six, and then just out in front <laughs> is Wilt Chamberlain <laughs> with 32. Uh, Holds it, a it, decent lead for right now. Anytime you're even on the same list as Wilt, it's an honor. Yes. But then you get to Wilt's stats, and it just is mind-blowing. Yeah, I don't even know if anybody else belongs <laughs> on that list. No, when you're... he has his own like record book for yeah. a lot of these things. Pretty wild. Absolutely very wild. Uh, from the NBA to Major League Baseball and some sad news, former Cubs great Ryan Sandberg diagnosed with cancer. Saw uh, this yesterday. Metastatic and... prostate cancer. He has begun treatment. Uh, Hall of Fame second baseman who played 15 seasons for the Cubs. Um, dealing with that, he's 64 years old. I uh, wish him the best of luck. And wasn't a Cubs fan. I've never been a Cubs fan, but respected Ryan Sandberg. I mean, those teams with Sandberg and, and Andre Dawson and, and Mark Grace, I mean, they they were really fun to watch. They never won anything of consequence, but they were really fun to watch. Ryan Sandberg, one of the, one of the best second basemen to ever play the game. And grew up watching him in a lot of ways, and and it's tough to see. And hopefully, Ryan Zamberg can get the uh, treatment that he needs and rid himself of cancer. But a dude that really was uh, the standard for the Chicago Cubs in the '80s in terms of not just the se- second base, but overall as a player. When you look at some of the top players in that era from the Cubs. And one other note locally. Congrats to Brock Schott uh, getting a scholarship offer from Ohio State. Kind of a big one, isn't it? Yeah. I think uh, that's notable. Yeah, so Leo Jr. picking up a huge offer from uh, the, uh, the the Buckeyes. Sorry, I can't talk this morning. <laughs> Still trying to recover from my, my illness. But Ryan Day reaches out and, and offers the, the scholarship, and it uh, definitely changes things for Brock Schott in terms of, of the offers that he's gotten. I mean... It's almost like pre-Ohio State, post-Ohio State is kind of how you treat it, and now he's on the post-Ohio State side in terms of getting a scholarship from the Buckeyes. We'll see how that changes up his recruitment. 46862, your text line number again, 46862. And if you have thoughts on the Boilers or the Hoosiers in basketball, let us know on the text line. We'll get to both here in a bit. In fact, we'll start with Purdue. Zach Eady and the Big Ten Player of the Week. Uh, averaged 31.5 points, 16 rebounds, two and a half blocks per game, shot 55% from the field at 33-14 and 14 at IU in that win in the rivalry game and 30-18 and 18 in a win over Iowa. And for Edy, he's nearing some rarefied air in the Big Ten. His ninth Big Ten Player of the Week award all-time, his third this season, and he's one away from tying the all-time leader in Big Ten Player of the Week award winners. W- would you have a guess on who this is? This this will blow you away. Um, Man, like a... Somewhat recent, in the last decade or so. All right. Uh, I could give you five guesses. I was guesses. about to say Mateen Cleaves, but no, that's not no. the, past de- the past decade. Is it an Ohio State... Bu- or a, yeah. It is Ohio State Buckeye. It I was is Ohio say State, State Buckeye, yes. Um, bah, bah, let's see. Uh, last decade, you say? Oh, or so. Um, Tur- Turner. Yes, Evan Turner. Evan Turner. Really? Yes. yes. <laughs> Isn't that hard to believe? Now, granted, I remember I him like I remember him being really good for like a, a hot minute. I didn't know it was enough to win ten. I didn't know either. I found that very. I think surprising. that's the only Ohio State Buckeye I could name that has played in the past decade. Also, <laughs> by the way, Aaron Kraft. Oh yeah, Aaron Kraft. How about that? There you go. There's two. <laughs> There's two. 
Uh, Deshaun Thomas, there's another. Um, is, is he the decade, though? I mean, this was like 2010 or so, probably. Yeah, okay. I'll give you 15 Past years. Decade-ish. Yeah. yeah, I guess that really is closer. Yeah. To, to, I'm thinking 12, but it's really 14 years, 15 years. But yes, for, for ED, he's nearing some rarefied air with that honor. One, I had no idea that Evan Turner has the all-time mark. I don't think they've been handing this award out, you know, for years and years and years, to be honest. But it's still surprising, and you look at what he's done. It con- continues to put up numbers that if this were anyone else, we'd all be blown away. But because it's Zach Eady, he's like, oh, yeah, that's just what he does. Yeah, same old, same old, right? That's, that's I think he's a victim of his own success when it comes to the numbers he's putting up this season. Now, if, if you're a Purdue fan... You see this night in, night out, and you're aware of how good he is and wish he got more credit. Uh, thankfully that, oh, he's just tall debate is... is Largely gone away. Yes, thankfully. Thankfully. But uh, Zach Eady continuing to excel. Meanwhile, Mike Woodson saying that IU isn't that far off. We'll get to his comments, what he said last night during Inside IU Basketball. Next, here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb and Kitty in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney, 46862 is how you reach us on the text line. Again, 46862. Just put in CK before your message. We'll get to throughout the course of the show. So last night, Inside IU Basketball, heard it right here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Mike Woodson talking about IU, a couple interesting comments. And there was one, and I get a lot of people are, are focusing on what he had to say regarding CJ Gunn and the the flagrant and, and, and the ejection and all that. Um, but there's a different comment that I think I, I find really interesting. And Woodson said, we're not far off this year. We just fell out of first place a week or so ago. I'm hard in practice. Our practices are not pretty. Now, I get people are going to overreact and saying like, oh, IU was never even close you know, in the Big Ten, they did start 2-0. Also, when they played Purdue, that was for sole possession of second place in the Big Ten. So you can say they were very much in the running at that time. So I, I guess I can't really disagree with what he had to say in terms of that context. However... Okay, you started 2-0. Congrats. Yeah. However, the real issue is what IU's done when it's mattered... They're 0-5 against ranked teams. They have five double-digit losses. We'll get to more on those in a bit. Yeah, but they're close, Caleb. No, they're not. <laughs> and that's that's the thing. Um, also, he hopes Clawware is back in the lineup on Saturday. He missed the Wisconsin game. Obviously, that's going to be important if he's going to have a chance against Illinois on the road. Oh, gosh, that could be ugly. Right? Uh, Even with Khalil Ware. I, I think... Well, he is right in the context. They were not that far off. Like, he's not incorrect. The issue is, in games that are competitive, that they should be, or, or games that they should be competitive in, and, and have a chance to pull off an upset, they're not doing that. Again, 0-5 against ranked teams. That means they're not getting done, it, it done in those those big games. Five double-digit losses. So you compare that to what he's done the rest of his tenure. And this is a growing problem. For Indiana. He had eight double-digit losses last year, just five in his first season. So he's definitely on pace to at least match or exceed what we saw last year in terms of double-digit losses. Hmm. But they're close. They're close. And that's the the, the frustrating thing. 
I, I guess the urgency that Indiana fans feel is not being shared by Mike Woodson, at least outwardly. And you could say, yeah, it's kind of his job to insulate the program from that. But at the same time, there just doesn't seem to be any sense of real urgency to figure this out. Does there? And there's also zero, the most frustrating thing looking at it is zero accountability because oh, if, if you were in our practices, it's just, it's coaches speak. It's kind of like BS is like, well, you know, if you were in our, our, our practices, you'd see how difficult they are, blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, I'm not arguing against that, but obviously that's not working. Whatever you're doing in practice hasn't worked. Whatever you're doing in terms of the messaging to this team isn't working in terms of discipline, in terms of keeping your emotions in check. But by gosh, our practices are tough. Well, the other thing is there doesn't seem to be a lot of discipline with with players in terms of, you know, like what's CJ Gunn's playing time going to be after what happened at Wisconsin? Um, I don't see it go down whatsoever. Yeah. You know, Xavier Johnson, yeah, he didn't start after what happened at at Rutgers, but he was still playing. Like at what point is there some sort of message sent? Because Mike Woodson should not have to send a message to a six-year senior. But yet, him getting benched, I guess, was the, the start of that. Um, CJ Gunn should have known better to, to do what he did. Well, I think, too, the frustrating thing also that came out of that, and he wants... Matt, Matt, and if you've seen the replay, so Matt, Max Klesman, he basically, like... Just like brushes his head up, it's it kind of like it was like a cat. It's kind of like a, he nuzzled like up a against cat pawing you. Yeah, it was, it was like he he nuzzled his head up against CJ Gunn, and Gunn reacted. And what what Mike Woodson once was a a a reciprocating foul call on Klesmet. I mean, it wasn't it's a, not foul. a foul. It's being annoying, but. That's the play with when you're playing Indiana. Klesman knows what he's doing in terms of trying to get a reaction out of CJ, CJ, CJ Gunn. The, 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 the scouting report on Indiana is just annoy the piss out of them, and they're going to react because they're undisciplined. And that's what happened. And yet, Mike Woodson wants Max Klesman to be called for a foul for nuzzling his head against CJ Gunn. That's not a foul. CJ Gunn can easily just take a, a quarter step back and be like, dude, back off. No, instead he elbows him and gets thrown out. <laughs> like, it's just, it's these excuses. Mike Woodson, ah, it should have been a reciprocating foul on that guy. Do you see what he did? Or, ah, whatever. We're really close. You guys don't know what you're talking about. You should see our practices. It's just kind of like Mike Woodson is in the deflecting phase of his IU coaching career, and it's not helping whatsoever. It also doesn't help that him coming from the NBA, there's actually a lot less coach speak from a lot of coaches. So he's a victim of his own honesty. And when he says some of these statements, like, you know, IU not being that far off, yes, that's true. But when you look at context and what the the fan base wants to hear, that's not what they want to hear. And so I think he's a victim of speaking more freely than what most college coaches would do. And 
Some, and he hasn't earned the right to basically say whatever he wants like some of the top coaches either. Well, and that's the thing. Like sometimes Mike Woodson just maybe just needs to keep his mouth shut and, and toe the company line. That's maybe boring, but it's better than sounding dumb like he did last night and multiple times during his radio show. Yes, and and that's really the issue in, in all of this is that um, there just doesn't seem to be some... I guess the only consistency is the inconsistency and in, and in, in how they're playing, and then also the consistency in what he's saying and it continuing to spark questions from the fan base. And part of me, it's different than when um, Archie Miller was coach at IU, because I looked at it and said Archie Miller is a is a is a college coach and he's just terrible at his job at Indiana. It was too big. For him, I, I almost feel bad for Mike Woodson because he's not a college basketball coach. He's an NBA coach. He's an NBA guy. He's been thrust into this role. He's he was unfairly hired, in my opinion, because he had IU ties. And I don't blame Mike Woodson necessarily for what's going on because he's the wrong, he was the wrong hire to begin with. He's not a college guy. This is what you're going to get. So it, it's not. I, I just don't, I don't feel the when I when I talk down about Mike Woodson, it's almost like feeling bad for him because he's just he's out of his element. He's a fish out of water. This isn't this isn't his game. This isn't him. And people say, well, give him time to adjust. Like wh- why? What what? Why are you hiring people that need an adjustment period to the college game? And you look at Marcus Freeman in Notre Dame. He needed an adjustment period as a head coach, not to the college game. Mike Woodson is completely learning on the fly at one of the hot, most high-profile jobs in America, in college basketball. Why? And then IU fans continue to be IU fans by saying, well, they just need to go get Dusty May. Oh, <laughs> another guy with IU ties that you would have no interest in if he didn't have a connection to Indiana? Because uh, I, I think there'd be interest because of what he did at FAU. I think the interest would be there regardless. It's just he's gone to the forefront because he's an IU guy. What possibly makes you think, other than one year uh, going to the Final Four, congrats, that Dusty May is the answer at Indiana? And I know this is a completely different conversation. It's the only season. It, it, a, it's Florida Atlantic, okay? He's, he's, and they went to one Final Four, which is phenomenal for Florida Atlantic. It's the only time they've been to the tournament in Dusty May's tenure at Florida Atlantic, okay? So you are, you are judging Dusty May on two things. Not you in particular, but people. That he's an IU guy, and he had one really, really, really exceptional year at Florida Atlantic. That's it. It, once again, it is this taste of the week coaching search. Oh, go get Dusty May. Look what he did at Florida Atlantic. Yeah, let's look what he did at Florida Atlantic. He's been to one NCAA tournament in five years. But, okay, he's the answer at Indiana. All right, that's, that's, my, that's my rant <laughs> that's for today. That's your rant. <laughs> I just, I, I don't, it, it, it's, it's adorable because IU fans... Not, not all of them, majority, just love to jump to the next flavor of the week. It goes with recruits, and it goes with coaches, okay? How often have we seen you jump from, from this recruit to that recruit, then everything is Romeo Langford, then you go this, and then you go this, and, 
and now it, this year it was bringing in um, Mbako, and next year wait till they get Liam McNeely on campus. Like you just keep jumping, and it's the same thing with coaches. Okay, well Tom Crean wasn't good enough, so let's go out. Wait, wait till Archie Miller. Wait till Archie Miller gets his own. Now it's Mike Woodson. All right, well wait till Mike Woodson because now it's Dusty May. Well, wait till we get Dusty May. Like it's just jumping. You're playing games of hopscotch with Indiana fans. They're always looking for that next big savior, whether it's a player or a coach. And it gets old, but damn if it isn't entertaining. <laughs> and uh, several Purdue fans entertained by this. Uh, someone texting in, CK is a Purdue fan. I like Mike Woodson because he stinks. <laughs> yeah, you, you, want, uh, you want Mike Woodson to stay as long as possible in Indiana. Uh, someone else, CK, if a Purdue player pulls the stunt gun did, as in what CJ Gunn did against Wisconsin, that player would be suspended. No way Painter tolerates that. And I guess this goes back to my issue is everyone can see the team is undisciplined, right? And then you have what Xavier Johnson did against Rutgers, what he did against Purdue, um, what he did uh, or what CJ Gunn did at Wisconsin. But this keeps happening because there doesn't seem to be a punishment strong enough to get guys to stop. And so this is another thing where Mike Woodson wants to just let guys play. And you can do that in the NBA because they're professionals, but these are college kids. You can't treat them the same. Like you do need to put the kid gloves on a little bit. Mike Woodson just doesn't seem willing to do that. Or incapable of doing that because like I mentioned, he's just an NBA dude. And some of it is kind of, you look at it and be like, eh, it's just not him. And the, the, the reference, the, the, the CJ gun, the Xavier Johnson stuff, it's a microcosm of what Indiana is. They're undisciplined. They can't handle the moment. And so if they can't handle themselves in small moments, what makes you think Indiana as a collective basketball team can handle big moments in terms of um, big games on the road late or tournament games and all that stuff? It's the little things or the not so little things like flagrant fouls that show the identity of a team. It's like this team can't handle the moment, can't handle the pressure and they'll fold. And that's what they've done more often than not, not only this year, but throughout the majority of Mike Woodson's tenure. If IU loses at Illinois on Saturday, which granted we expect that to happen. Is that the game where people just check out? And between the fans and even the players that, that just just going through the motions the rest of the season. No, I, I don't think so. I, I think it can look it always get more ugly. And th- and that's a game that I don't expect IU to win anyway. IU's still gonna win some games through February and all that stuff, but they're not doing anything of consequence. They'll be one and done, maybe two and done in the Big Ten tournament and they'll go home and Watch the real teams, the real programs playing the NCAA tournament. I don't see anything changing marginally. That's that's really the issue. Is you know November you get into and be like, well, you know, th- plenty of time for things to change. Okay, then you get into December. All right, you know, so a couple early Big Ten wins. That's some momentum. Um, but plenty of time to turn things around, right? And then you get into January, like, all right, well, we're kind of running out of time. And now you're in late January. Okay. You effectively have five weeks to get your crap together. I think, and you, you bring up a point that it is late January. 
you're still waiting for that breakthrough game for this team, and you thought Ohio State was a starting point, not a breakthrough, but a starting point. It's really meant nothing, and I think you're just going to keep waiting for that breakthrough game uh, because it's probably it, look, at this point if, it's probably not coming. Yeah, it's probably not coming because if if they were going to do it, they would have done it by now. Was Ohio State supposed to be that breakthrough game? No, I mean that was a home game that you had to win. But they they hyped it up like it was. I mean. You had opportunities, of course, with Purdue, and you just laid a complete egg on your home floor. Um, it's really difficult to, to look at it and go, where does IU even turn it around? They are who they are. They're almost 20 games in. Nothing's going to change here of consequence. Maybe they beat a team, a, a ranked team this year, which they haven't been able to do yet. Yeah, this 0 and year. 5. That'd be something. But there's, there's no big change coming with this team this year. Several other texts I want to get to. 46862. CK, you get what you tolerate. Also, this one, CK, if your program answer is always just wait until a certain player or coach gets here and then we'll be elite, you are officially not elite. I think it's a good point because I think IU is is the fans have been like that in terms of for twenty who the, years. Who this who the next savior is for the program. It's, it goes back, you know, Eric Gordon. Coming in. Oh, he was going to be the guy. And then you, know, you keep going down the line. Marco Killingsworth. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm serious, right? At least at least those were, man, I, that's a blast from the past with Marco <laughs> Killingsworth. But, uh, I mean, you go from, from that to, to Romeo Lankford to, um, you know, when you brought in Malik Renew and, and, and Trace Jackson Davis and, and Jalen Hood Shafino, like that class with Hood Shafino and, and Renew, it was supposed to be, okay, this is going to be, the group and never was and, and this year all oh, the guys you get bringing McKenzie and Baco and transfer Cleo where this is the group and next year oh they got a five-star commit McNeely let's get excited it's um it just never happens and now the the flavor of the month is Dusty May and it, it, I can almost guarantee you he's not going to be the answer either he has he had one really good year at Florida Atlantic okay Florida Atlantic people the pressure going from FAU to IU, oof, right? That's Especially a lot. when everybody's looking at you as being the guy. That's the problem. Is you're putting so much pressure on some of these people, and yeah, they should they should be able to handle it for sure. Hey, at least when IU fans identified Brad Stevens, at least he had accomplished a lot and could handle the pressure. Right. And there was no doubt in his resume. And that's maybe the the. Most hurtful thing, I think, for IU fans is the one guy that we can all agree would really change things and get IU, quote-unquote, back, has zero interest. And that maybe is the most damning thing. And maybe the most frustrating thing for Indiana fans is there's a dude that's had success in this state coaching college basketball that has zero interest in going to Indiana. Who's had more success in his what five six seasons at Butler than IU's had in the last twenty years? Yeah, and 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 back in the day, twenty five thirty years ago, the top th- that that person a, a would have it'd be a no brainer. Eventually, they'd land at IU because that's just what you did in Indiana. Not self hats. Not, not not anymore. Not anymore. And and it just. It frustrates IU fans to no end because there is a dude that would be the guy at IU and doesn't want it. 
Doesn't four, care. Four six eight six two again. Your text line number four six eight six two. Someone with a good thought. Problem with IU is not the fans; it's the administration. They're always chasing the next big coaching thing instead of just hiring a big thing. Pay four million dollars for a coach and eight million in buyouts instead of just paying ten million for a coach. Yes, the administration is is to blame as well. I think but, it's catering to wealthy donors is what it's doing. And I look. Mike Woodson, I, I think most people want him to succeed because he's an IU guy. Um, but at some point, you, you got to play with better discipline. You got to feel like there's a direction. And right now, it just feels like those those things don't exist with this program. And then when when comments in your radio show are are being scrutinized, and you've reached a new level of uh, of criticism. And it seems when things are going bad, when you open things up for criticism, like what we continue to see out of Indiana, it's easy to find more to criticize. And that's kind of where we're at with Indiana. And that's where we're not at with Purdue. It's like every day there's something new to talk about with Indiana. Not, not, not as much with Purdue. Yeah, because they just win. They just go out. There's nobody getting flagrant. There's nobody getting ejected from Purdue games. There's no behind-the-scenes drama. There's, uh, I mean, I'm sure there's there's drama at Purdue. Every every program has, has some sort of drama, but self-contained. It's nothing huge. You don't have crazy reactions from players on the court. You don't have coaches trying to rationalize that behavior. It's just pretty boring in West Lafayette. And that's the way they'd want it. Meanwhile, in Bloomington, you never know what the what tomorrow is going to bring. From a program seemingly in turmoil. To a program that is doing quite well despite a massive transition. Notre Dame football, Marcus Freeman hitting another milestone. We'll explain what happened next here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Wrapping up hour number one here on Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. 46862, the text line number again, 46862. That is the text line just put in CK before your message. Someone asking, how were the roads when we drove in? Relatively okay. Um, slick in spots, like on, but like main roads were fine. But if you're like, you know, in a turn lane or turning or a side road, right. obviously just be careful. Yeah, side roads are still pretty slick. Sidewalks, of course. But like the main roads, like I have to get on 469 coming here and i expected a lot worse especially when i woke up looked at my phone and my son had art was already having remote learning i was like oh this should be fun yeah um but with the the advantages of technology i'm able to from home go to google maps and just put in federated media and it will factor in like if 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 traffic is moving slower you Uh know so give me my time and it really wasn't that far off and i was like huh okay so my son doesn't have school but it doesn't seem to be that bad outside which it really wasn't. I mean, I was be careful pleasantly surprised. Like, Drive defensively, which is supposed to be what you're supposed to do all the time. But <laughs> yes, it's it's not too bad. Up. Thankfully not. Uh, up in South Bend, I'm sure it's probably worse. Uh, uh, yes, absolutely. But and it's probably mostly snow, not ice. True. But uh, worse maybe weather-wise. But they're feeling good if you're a Notre Dame fan this morning because Marcus Freeman hitting another recruiting milestone. Uh, early enrollee Bryce Young, no, not Bryce Young, not the quarterback one, of the Panthers, huh? but Bryce Young, the son of Bryant Young, former Notre Dame standout and uh, Pro Football Hall of Famer, played for the Niners. He was named a five-star in the final 24-7 uh, rankings, number 24 overall. 
So the only players that Notre Dame has signed ranked higher than Bryce Young since 2010. Jalen Smith, Aaron Lynch, Tommy Kramer, Michael Mayer, and Kyle Hamilton. That's a pretty elite list. Yes, and a pretty accomplished list. All those guys, except Aaron Lynch, who I think transferred, panned out for Notre Dame. Yeah, and that was Aaron Lynch was part of that that mega defensive line class that was supposed to put Notre Dame over the top that really didn't materialize. But when you look at Bryce Young and Kingston Viliamu Asa, who in some circles is a five star, he's borderline. Your top two commitments or signees now, enrollees even at Notre Dame, are from your defensive front seven with Bryce Young. And Vili Amuasa. So great to see for Notre Dame. And then with CJ Carr and Cam Williams, two borderline five-star dudes at quarterback and wide receiver, respectively. So when you're looking at checking the boxes with elite talent at the positions that matter, particularly defensive line, quarterback, and wide receiver, Notre Dame has done it at the top of this class. And it's great to see. And they moved back into the top 10. They were 11th, but a top 10 recruiting class Nearly 70% blue chip ratio for the class of 2024. Uh, So that's gone up from what it was. And all that means is the percentage of players of the overall class that are four or five star players. So once again, you got to be above 50% for that threshold. Michigan, uh, they were, they were barely above, but they were above and they won a national championship and and recruiting matters. You got to have elite talent. Obviously not all the elite talents going to pan out, but at least Notre Dame, putting themselves in position for success moving forward. And they have their number one class in the class of 2025, according to 24-7 Sports and that service. Now, that's not going to last, mind you. No. Because they have quantity. Um, quality. Quality there, too. But, but yeah. quantity. Once SEC starts uh, powering up with its recruiting, yeah. But Notre Dame is off to a great start in class of 2025 with 14 commits already. But yeah, that will change. But uh, we've said it before about Marcus Freeman that he's that he's doing a lot of good things at Notre Dame, and we're waiting to see that that breakthrough class, uh, recruiting class for him. Could that be the class of twenty twenty four? Is it shaping up to be a class in twenty twenty five? We'll see. But definitely some impact dudes either already in South Bend or heading to South Bend for this class of twenty twenty four. And I think a lot of people expect some massive signing class like in terms of you know finishing top three maybe that's not in the cards currently but they seem to do such a good job of developing players that and, and that's how michigan won a title right they weren't well, michigan recruiting yeah they weren't getting top three recruiting classes. no i mean yes they got a couple top players they got a quarterback in jj mccarthy who panned out and, and that helps a lot but overall it's just player development and that's what notre dame is is really good at and Michigan proved you can win a national title with that style as far as winning in the trenches, having a good running game, and, and having a quarterback. And Notre Dame's been lacking that elite quarterback. And that's what Michigan has had. I think that's what put them over the top. And maybe C.J. Carr can be that guy. Maybe Riley Leonard is that guy starting this season. We shall see. But at least Marcus Freeman getting a five-star. Uh, and I get it. It depends on the recruiting service you look at as far as how guys are ranked. But this seemed like a pretty big deal for the way things closed because it there was no major breakthrough you know on signing day for Notre Dame and last year it went in the opposite direction as far as signing day 
and, and a couple of the elite guys going elsewhere. So now they're getting a guy who's promoted up to five-star status, and things look promising. I think, if anything, the Michigan National Championship should give Notre Dame fans hope because there's a lot of similarities between Notre Dame and Michigan. It's not Alabama or Georgia or Ohio State, not taking anything away from those institutions, but Notre Dame has a lot more in common with Michigan than any of those. And for a while, Michigan, A, couldn't get over the hump against its rival, has been able to do that. But now as national champions, how were they able to do it? They finally found their quarterback. And they had a head coach that could push the program over the top. And that's what Notre Dame hopes it has in Marcus Freeman. So I know no Notre Dame fan was happy that Michigan won a national championship, but I do think you can look at that and say, huh, in terms of recruiting and Michigan's standards are high, not as high as Notre Dame, but they're high in terms of recruiting, in terms of really not being able to compete with the elite of the elite in recruiting class rankings. They were able to build a team with the right coaches at the right situation at the right time and win a national championship. And I think that should give Notre Dame fans hope. And we'll see if they can accomplish what Michigan has been able to do. One other quick note in college football, Purdue, uh, they moved up to their season opener to August 31st. So they have a bye week in week two. Uh, The Boilers will host Indiana State August 31st, then a bye and then host Notre Dame on September 14th. Notre Dame's still looking for that elusive yes. 12th game, right? That yes. We thought it was going to be Army at Yankee Stadium. Uh, very well could be, but it's kind of weird. That we're still waiting for that to be announced. Yeah, you would think that would get solidified soon. Since, you know, we're yeah, I what, mean, seven months away from everything getting going. Yeah, it's just, what's the holdup is kind of my thing. Coming up on the other side, Mike Woodson's biggest mistake has nothing to do with what he said on coaches' shows or what's happening on the court. We'll get to that as we kick off hour number two. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Hour number two, Caleb and Kenny in the morning here on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Caleb Hatch, Justin Kinney with you Hopefully you made it uh, safely to wherever you're going. If you're listening in while you're on your way to work or on your way home from work, um, not too bad out there, but obviously just use proper precautions and you should be okay uh, getting through this freezing rain uh, that's been happening for a while. So coming up this hour on the show, Mike Woodson's biggest mistake has nothing to do with his comments, with what's happened on the court. We'll get to that. In a bit, it happened in the offseason. There's a hint. Plus, the NFL's worst, I say worst in quotes, rule, thumbs up or thumbs down on making a change. And Tom Brady could have been in the NFL this year. We'll give you details on that after 8.30 on something that somehow slipped under the radar leading into the divisional round. Plus, uh, this item is all the rage and a woman was arrested after police found $2,500 worth of it in her car, accused of shoplifting. We'll give you what that item is and uh, more details after 8.50. Do you have one of these? Pokemon cards? No, not Pokemon. Uh, That that rage is past. Uh, I do not have one. Does your wife have one? No. 
Really? She does not. Okay. No. They are seen as status symbols in certain communities. <laughs> I, and, I guess. And I a, have one, but it's not like the typical popular no. item. Uh, I didn't even know these things were like a, a, a rage until oh, yeah. like the, uh, the Target issue when they were read. All that stuff. Well, we won't talk about it here at the end of the show. But I know a buddy of mine who works at an area school that says at school that right now they are the thing to have. Oh, yeah. He sent me a picture of a uh, lunch table where like nine of them were sitting there. <laughs> so, uh, yes, that's, it's that very much it a status it type is, thing It is right peaked. Now. Yeah. I think it peaked about a month ago. It's pretty wild. We'll talk about it at the end yeah. of the show. We'll get to that. But uh, right now, Mike Woodson, his biggest mistake, and has nothing to do with what he said last night on Inside IU Basketball, saying that IU was close and wanting discipline for Max Klesment for poking the bear, if you will, and CJ Gunn getting the the flagrant, has nothing to do with IU being 0-5 against ranked teams, um, the double-digit losses they've had in the Mike Woodson era, which are a problem. Nothing to do with the play on the court. Nothing nothing at all with any of that stuff. The biggest mistake that Mike Woodson has made, and you can look back now, and we, we kind of danced around it, thought seemed kind of weird at the time. Now I can say it was a massive mistake compared to the people that IU missed out on. And it's the fact that Mike Woodson left an open scholarship. Open available scholarship for this roster. Yes, he's not using the full amount of scholarships that they could going into the season. And I think that has been a huge whiff based on how the guard play has worked out. So remember some of the targets that IU had in the transfer portal process. Dalton Connect, who ended up going to Tennessee. He was at Northern Arizona. Uh, He's just averaging nearly 19 a game, four and a half rebounds, shooting 48% from the field, um, 40% from three this season. So that was miss number one. Then you had Chris Ledlam, a guy from Harvard who's now at St. John's. 10 points, nearly eight rebounds. Um, not as much of a three-point shooter, 34%, uh, but he gives you size at 6'6 as a guard. And then the other guy, Caleb Love, who, remember, was between IU and Michigan. Then he was set to go to Michigan, couldn't meet the academic standards, so he ended up going to Arizona, the former North Carolina star, averaging 18 points, nearly five rebounds. Um, and yes, his shooting percentages aren't great, but he is an elite player and a guy who can win games for you. And, of course, he's having success for Arizona as they're one of the top teams in the country. So you run through that, that gamut. Those, those guys, IU could have, could have used any of them because they have that open scholarship. And I think that, that has proven to be Mike Woodson's biggest mistake this season is the simple fact that IU left an open scholarship on the table and their guard play has been what it has been, which has been, well, underperforming to say the least and all three of those guys having success at their other programs well we discussed it too at length when you were gone too about that open scholarship and i think it's one thing to say well they could have had one of those top guys because i do think they tried but even just using that scholarship and i gave you an example of just some random player from arkansas state that makes two to three averages two to three threes a game like, he would be invaluable coming off the bench for this team this year. But they don't have that. I mean, you can reach for, and that's the thing is, it almost feels like Mike Woodson never has backup plans, always shoots for the stars, right? Always tries to get the top of the top of the top. But in terms of development dudes, 
in terms of three-star guys that fit roles. He doesn't have either time for them to recruit or he just doesn't know how to integrate them into the program or coach them up or anything like that. Because I think a dude off the bench that can hit a couple shots for you and be a good ball handler in the backcourt would be of tremendous value to this basketball team. Doesn't always have to be a star. Sometimes it's just a dude that fits a role. And not using that scholarship, especially with the holes that this team has, makes you very, very puzzled about why he didn't use it to try to shore up some of the deficiencies. And remember, Mike Woodson said, we're not going to get a guy on scholarship just to fill it. He said that. So you look at what Trey Galloway and Xavier Johnson have done. Uh, they've been inconsistent. Galloway's obviously had some high points. Let's let's not you know deny that. Xavier Johnson has had one high point. That was the Ohio State game. Other than that, it is, it's been between injuries and flagrant fouls. It has been a disaster this season. And so he could have gone out, and look, he did go after these guys, mind you, but the fact they didn't land any of them, it's not like it was, they went all in on one guy. They went on s- several guys and someone texting in that Caleb Love didn't qualify academically, academically at IU either. Yes, he was a target. So they could have gone to the next guy, whether it was Chris Ledlam or Dalton Connect. There were three guys, right, that IU targeted in as far as guards. They didn't land any of them. They're all having success at their other programs. And I guess that's the the biggest indictment is that Woodson tried, but clearly they didn't either try hard enough, whether it was NIL, whether it was academics, whether it was fit, but the fact that they just left that scholarship sitting open and didn't fill it, that, that to me is the biggest indictment of Woodson and it had it has nothing to do with what's happened this season. It's the fact that in the offseason, they fixed the front line, getting a clue where they added Peyton Sparks. Um you obviously had Malik Renew, who you expected to be a really good player, and he's turned out to be a really good player this season. But the guard, that that was the issue. And they didn't address it in the portal. And that's what they had to do, and they didn't address it. I think the biggest thing for me for Indiana and that miss that that empty scholarship is bringing somebody that could be a glue guy that could be an energy dude that could come off the bench and hit a big shot that could really get the team fired up. I'm not talking about a guy that can come in as a seventh, eighth player and be a leader because that can be very difficult to come into a team and be that leader. But what you can bring is energy and passion and uh, hustle that can really energize a basketball team. And I think that Mike Woodson doesn't value that type of player. I really think that Mike Woodson, when you look at Indiana, it has a lot of athletes on that team. It has a lot of athletes that play basketball, but I don't think it's a roster full of basketball players. And I really think that Mike Woodson, it goes back to the NBA mentality. Everybody's a pro in the NBA. Everybody can ball in the NBA, okay? But so that's not a concern. You put a guy in and you expect this, this, this in the NBA, and more often than not, he's going to be able to do it. Not so much in college basketball. Mike Woodson speaks so honestly. Do you think at the end of this season, 
he will be willing to say, yeah, I, I bet on the guards that we had and it just didn't work out. Do you think he'll say something like that? Um, I think so. Maybe. But he's always got like another comeback. Like the thing with CJ Gunn is, yeah, CJ Gunn has to, has to um, control himself. But why is he the only one being punished? It's kind of that speaking out of both sides of their mouth mm-hmm. that almost rationalizes the behavior. And you see it from parents too is, yeah, my kid did this on the playground, but why didn't that kid get in trouble? That's not the point. The point is your kid did something and he got in trouble for it. And yet your thing is, is, well, yeah, he did that. And, but what about that kid? What about this kid? Well, last Tuesday, this kid did this and he didn't get in trouble for it. That's not the point. That's deflecting. And that's kind of like what Mike Woodson is doing. Take responsibility and handle your business. Now, do you blame Mike Woodson more for his inability to get the most out of Galloway and Xavier Johnson and the fact that they've not been leaders, like there's no leader for this team? Or do you blame Trey Galloway and Xavier Johnson themselves for just the inconsistent play, the lack of leadership, which Xavier Johnson himself said, I need to be a better leader, right? He said that. So... I think you should be held to that. So who who gets more blame in that situation? Well, I think it always falls on the head coach. I mean, you have to be able to identify an entirety of a player's skill set when you recruit them or re-recruit them in terms of coming back for extra years or seeing that this player doesn't give me this, so I better go out and get this type thing. I think it's pretty clear to say that Trey Galloway and, and Xavier Johnson aren't leaders on this team. I, I'd look at Galloway as more, but Xavier Johnson sure as hell is. No. And I don't think he's ever uh, ever ever given you the given you the, the the thought that maybe he could be a leader at some point. And it's almost kind of like the the uh the when we talk chemistry and it's kind of like chicken of the egg. Does the team have chemistry because they're winning or are they winning because they have chemistry? And vice versa. Are they losing because they don't have chemistry or do they not have chemistry because they're losing? That's always kind of the thing with, with Indiana. But I think with leadership, it's different. Win, lose, or draw, you have to have sound leadership. And IU doesn't. I don't I, think they have it at head coach, and I don't think they have it in the locker room with the players. I, I think it, 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 it does go both ways. Like It's on the coach to identify leaders, right? So he bet on those two guys being leaders – and to, to be good enough at guard to make Gabe Cups able to play more of a supporting role and not a leading role. Now, part of that was due to injuries, right? That's out of, that's out of your control. But at the same time, if you're stacking the deck and, and you don't have good depth to begin with due to an injury, that's also on you as a coach. At the same time, Mike Woodson should know what he has in both those guys in terms of if they can be a leader or not. And did Xavier Johnson and Trey Galloway not know that they were going to be counted on to be leaders? I mean, like, come on, right? Right. <laughs> Who well, else was going to be the, the leading group for the team? It's not Malik Renew. Right. I mean, he's not a any, sophomore. Not, the, not Khalil Ware. He's a transfer. Peyton Sparks, transfer. Right. right? Uh, so the, the players do need to take some of that responsibility. Uh, all this to say... They're not figuring anything out here. Like they are what they are. Nothing's going to just magically come together. You don't see a team magically figure it out. 
not this late in the season. Now we're seeing players individually figure it out, right? Malik Renew continues to seem seemingly get better game by game. He's an elite player. He he'll come back next year. He'll be one of the top big men in the Big Ten. If he comes back. McKenzie and Baco, he's individually figuring it out, right? Now, he should come back. He probably won't want to come back. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, all but two players have eligibility to return. But what kind of attrition do you have in terms of, of transfer? And I think that's something I brought up to you is let's let's play hypothetical uh-huh. and look ahead to next year. And what is shaping up to be a must-win season for Mike Woodson? He has to have a really good basketball team. I don't know if just making the tournament next year helps him keep his job. Okay. Um, unfortunately, with the with the mediocre expectations, maybe it does at Indiana. But he right now sits at two open scholarships for next year. That's factoring in the commitment of Liam McNeely because you're only losing two players this year, exhausting their eligibility. So with those two open scholarships. And Mike Woodson potentially facing a must-win season next year. Does Mike Woodson take the route of, okay, I'm going to find two more high school freshmen to come in, or am I going to use those two scholarships in the portal and load up on experience to try to win now? It's going to be two completely different routes to take and could really set the tone for Indiana basketball for the foreseeable future in what Mike Woodson decides to do with those two remaining scholarships. At least two. That's that's factoring in everybody coming back. If you think that it's just Xavier Johnson and Anthony Walker who've exhausted eligibility, if you think those are the only people who aren't coming back <laughs> for this team, right. you're crazy. Um Glow Ware is probably going to the NBA, right? Uh he will probably be a first round pick. Does Caleb Banks come back? He may transfer. Uh, does CJ Gunn come back? Um, Anthony Leal, th- does IU yeah. let him come back yeah. with a scholarship, right? Um, probably, but who knows? Um, what about McKenzie Mbaco? Does he transfer? If he doesn't go pro, try to go pro, does he transfer? And then I, I, I think you'll see I think you'll see IU at least get one other high school commit, right? I don't think it'll just be a one person class. I think they'll add one more. But then beyond that, yeah, I, I think, look, if IU fails to make the tournament this year, which they are on pace to do, no one's denying that, Mike Woodson probably gets one more year, and if he makes the tournament that year, you, I guarantee you they'll just keep him around. Because we we have noticed that there's such uh, low expectations for Indiana. But I mean, considering he got him to back-to-back tournament berths for the first time since, what, 15 and 16? Yeah. Uh, CK is a Purdue fan. I've never been happier that you're talking about IU and aren't talking about Purdue. You keep saying it. There's nothing to talk about with Purdue. They have a game tonight against Michigan. I mean, if they lose to- tonight, yeah, this gives us something to talk about tomorrow. But they're not going to lose at home to Michigan. Yeah, business as usual. Yeah, now, just, come March, will there be stuff oh, to talk be about? there'll a ton to talk about yes. with Purdue. Success or failure. Correct. But right now, we said it at the start of the season. Purdue's Purdue until March. And that's when it gets real. So enjoy the quiet, I guess, not talking about Purdue. You've, I guess, earned it after having to go through last year NCAA tournament. 
in terms of all the talk, but it's going to pick back up as we get into the latter part of February. Someone else at 46862. CK, Trace Jackson Davis got IU to -to back-to-back tournaments without him. Woodson is being fired now. It's a great point. Uh, Yeah, and to a certain extent, Jalen Huchifino as well uh, last year, but... Uh, I agree. What has Michael Mike Woodson done without Trace Jackson Davis? Oh, we're seeing it Not this year. Much. <laughs> Not much. And that's the thing is like you look at next year's roster and you say, oh, that's a that's a pretty good group coming back. Well, that group isn't sniffing an NCAA tournament this year. So I don't know what's exciting you too much about that roster of which there'll be other. Uh, there'll be more attrition than just the two exhausting their eligibility. When do we get the reports that XYZ player was toxic and oh, that's always the uh, the end of the season, right? Right. It's always after that player leaves or transfers out is is all that. Yeah, totally agree. It's it's a tale as old as time in sport that this was the big issue, but next year is going to be different. Okay, sure. Coming up on the other side, a big issue in the NFL and their supposed worst rule. We'll play thumbs up or thumbs down about the fumble through the end zone touchback. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. We're certainly not surfing today, unless sliding on ice is surfing. Yeah, they're not particular on what kind of surfing. True. Could be ice surfing. Yeah, I, I saw a guy in Florida actually doing wind surfing. Oh, really? Where, like, you have, like, I, I thought he was, like, setting up a kite, and then, no, he was wind surfing. Like, you get it set up, and then you're just, you're out on the water. Yeah. I never seen that before. Really? Mm-hmm. Very nice. We're not doing any of that. No. Around here. No. It's sir. windy, but we're not doing any wind surfing. No, certainly not. Uh four six eight six two is the text line number. Four six eight six two. I want to get everyone's thoughts on the text line on this rule in the NFL. So we saw it on Sunday's Bills Chiefs game, the fumble through the end zone. And the league is set to review that fumble through the end zone, resulting in a touchback rule this offseason. I am perfectly fine with the rule because the NFL seems to change every rule that help the defense and make it into an offensive rule to, to help the offense. And I just, I don't yeah. understand as to why And this seems like another one that they're, they're changing the rule just to change a rule. But as this has been pointed out, what's the alternative rule though? Like, is it a penalty? Because like if, if you're going in to score and you fumble through the end zone, you shouldn't just get the ball back. Like to me, I think the rule is fine. How it's set up. So we talked about this yesterday, myself and Derek Decker and Brett Rump talked about it yesterday on the sports rush. Apparently I just had to get my two cents. No, 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 it's fine. Because I want to take what uh, what what Brett said yesterday, because he wants to see the rule changed. He suggested putting the ball back at the 10. Uh, I've seen the NFL talk about putting it at the 20, where it's a quote-unquote touchback, but the offense keeps the ball at the 20. Now, Brett's reasoning, one, one thing that stuck out to me that I want to poke holes in, is we're, we're letting the, the uh, uh, and this is his words, Letting a little pylon dictate whether the ball, whether the offense keeps the ball or not. The pylon is everything. The end zone is everything in the NFL. That little pylon determines whether you score or not. Okay? 
So my big thing, and I talked about it with Derek Decker yesterday, is it is of paramount importance to protect the football at all times in football. But it is of maximum importance to protect it around the end zones. You don't want to turn the ball over in your own end zone, you have safety or touchdown, and you don't want to turn the ball over in the end zone you're trying to score in because it's a turnover. You should protect the ball as much as possible around the end zones. Hence the rule. And I have no problem with it, just like you don't. And I know there's a fair amount of people that want to see it change the NFL, I guess. But, like, why? But that's the thing. Is like, is why? Well, it's unfair. Well, protect the, ba- protect the football. I think it'd be zone. unfair that the offense gets the ball back after fumbling through the end zone trying to score. I think the point that's of some people is, and, and I don't agree, I'm just trying to give the other, the, the other point, is, okay, if you, if you fumble out of the one, on the one-inch line, you keep the ball. If you fumble one inch inside the end zone, you lose the ball. For me, that's perfectly fine. But for others, it's not. But the end zone is everything. The pylon is everything. It's the difference between scoring and not scoring. It's the difference between victory and defeat, all the cliches, blah, blah, blah. That little pylon determines everything. That's why you, and that's why when people reach for the, for the pylon, the corner, and Oh, what if they fumble? You got to protect the ball better. Don't reach out. And I am perfectly content with the rule. But unfortunately, I think there is enough push that this could get changed in the NFL. Now, someone suggested on the text line at 46862, you know, put a poll question up. So that is up. Caleb Kinney, 1380 on Twitter slash X. What do you think about the fumble through the end zone resulting in a touchback rule in the NFL? Keep it or change it. Obviously, we are team keep it. I, I Now, there's momentum to change this. Uh, as we mentioned, they will review that rule this offseason. Um, the NFL keeps catering to these... Well, it caters to op- the offenses. offense. And, and we kind of like, wonder, well, why are they doing it? Well, then we look at ratings and you but, understand But here's why. the thing. They keep catering to the offense, but they're actually doing it now to their own detriment. I mean, look at how many starting quarterbacks were injured this season. And and why is that? Well, it's because there's less time for offensive linemen to hit. There's less preseason games. Like, they're actually playing themselves by reducing the preseason to add a, a regular season game. So, to me, the more that I look at this, and yes, they, they want to cater to offensive rule, but like, a lot of the narrative this season was scoring's down, right? Quarterbacks are getting hurt. Well, that's because there's less contact in training camp and there's one last preseason game. So that's less time to evaluate offensive linemen. Um, They can't hit as much in practice. So at some point, their, their rules, while the intention is to improve offense, I feel like it's actually doing the opposite. It's, it's almost like um, you're, I'm trying to find an equivalent to another sport, but it's it's kind of like hockey. You guard your own goal line, just like you do your own goal line in in, in football, and then you are very very uh, aggressive around your 
opponent's goal line in hockey, but it's different in, in the NFL because you can completely lose possession, and of course it's different NFL and hockey. But kind of my point is, is around the net is the most important positions in hockey. The end zones are the most important positions on the field in football. And you have to be able to execute around your own end zone and your opponent's end zone. And if you don't, if you are careless with the football, then there should be punishments. And there are currently in the NFL. I think also some of this is being pushed by the narrative out there that if if prominent media outlets say it's an outrage, then people kind of jump on board. It's kind of like that... Uh, that kind of mentality that oh, I'm going to jump on oh, board yeah. because people are telling me it's a bad rule. Like, is it a bad rule? No, it's not. But I think a lot of people like to think it is because they're told it's a bad rule. Do we really need another rule in the NFL to benefit the offense? No, we don't. <laughs> we we but, really do not. But, but, but honestly, the NFL is like, well, if offense sells, which we've said, and ratings continue to go up, then what do we need? More rules for the offense and ratings will continue to go up. Someone texting and if you fumble forward on any other part of the field, it goes back to the spot of the fumble. But that's not close that's, to the end zone. Yeah, that's not near the that's end zone. That's why you should be... The, the end zone is much more important than any other part of the field. That's why you have to guard against fumbling close to the end zone. That's why reaching out, trying to put the ball across the goal line is stupid in my opinion. Look, are they going to change it too? Where if the offense is backed up against their own goal line and they lose the ball in their own end zone, that that's yeah. Now suddenly you get the ball back at the it. Well, that's it, a great it, point because you're like, well, every <laughs> other part of the field they get to keep repeat possession. Why, if they fumble out of their so, own so end zone, so that's no longer going to be a safety, and you just get the ball back. Yeah, you get you to get where it, you it, had it before. I mean, it's it's a really good point. Like, if you're not going to punish the offense when they're trying to go for a touchdown, then we shouldn't punish the offense if they're backed up on their own end zone. Uh, they, uh, that would be a complete lack of consistency in the rules. If they say, if you fumble the ball on offense through the opponent's end zone, oh, you get it back at, at the 10 or the 20-yard line or even wherever the spot that you had it. So you just get the ball. It's, it's essentially a mulligan, right? But then on the other side, if you're backed up against your own end zone and the defense either knocks the ball out of bounds in the end zone or... Um, you know, you, like you lose it out of bounds. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes out of bounds. That That's suddenly no longer a safety. That's, oh, the, the offense just gets the ball back. You yeah, know, the, because, the one or the two, like well, you, if you, you got have tackled to be at consistency. The, right. Because if he had gotten tackled at the one out of bounds at his own one, well, they retained possession. But just because it went into the, into your own end zone and out of bounds, you lose possession. That's not fair. Right. I mean, that that's the rationale. So it has to go both ways. It can't just be when you're going to score. It also has to be when you're at your own one foot line and you fumble it out of bounds. Bad snap over the head of the of the quarterback or something out the back of the end zone, stuff like that is up. Oh, whoops. Well, we can't punish the offense. That's not really fair. If this would have happened at midfield and it went out of bounds, they retain possession. So you you can't have it both ways. You would have to change both rules. And if you only change one, then that shows the absurdity of the rule. Again, they've manipulated so many... And some of the rules I get, right? Like, they, they were allowing defensive holding to an exceptional level, you know, back 20 years ago, and you have the, the tie-law game, and 
Colts falling the the AFC title game, and they they changed the rules because of that. That's fine, right? But you keep changing. You have these roughing the passer penalties that are a joke, and everyone knows they're a joke, right? Uh, you have these collisions that players are getting you know ejected for in the college game that you're like that wasn't even a penalty twenty years ago, and doesn't even make sense to be a penalty. It's this is another area where there'd be a lack of consistency in the rule book. And another way for people to be upset about officiating. 46862, the text line 46862. Before we take a break, you, you said you were able to watch the Ravens-Texans game. Uh, like the first half. The first half. Did you see Wardell Roberts in the stands? No. Also now known as the Martin Luther King Jr. lookalike. No. So he is in a, a pullover with a Ravens hat and some sort of um, face guard on. Uh, But look up Wardell Roberts, Ravens, Texans, and finding newfound fame online as looking like Martin Luther King Jr. And somebody tweeted this online that MLK done resurrected to witness a Lamar playoff masterpiece. Bernice King, the daughter of Martin Luther King uh, retweeted it. <laughs> he and, does look like MLK. Yes. And says, I have a great sense of humor. Y'all this post is funny. Uh, this man resembles daddy and put a photo of Martin Luther King in a similar pose to Wardell Roberts. Uh, the resemblance is uncanny to me. It I really found that is pretty amusing. <laughs> that is funny. Sometimes, sometimes there is humor to be found on social media. So Wardell Roberts living it up as apparently the resurrection of Martin Luther King Jr. Coming up on the other side, Tom Brady nearly lured out of retirement. We'll give you details. Somehow this story slipped under the radar and we have some breaking Pacers news. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Keeping it smooth here this morning. Too much of anything except Caleb and Kenny in the morning. (laughs) 1380 The Fan, 100.9 FM. Ah, Barry White. Coming up, uh, we'll also have Lionel Richie. Yes, we will. We'll just go down the line of some soul singers. Wrap it up with some Aretha Franklin. We'll be all good here. (laughs) No, that's not where we're going, but that would be nice. Um, 46862, again, the text line number 46862. We have our poll question up, and it's what do you think about the NFL rule fumbling through the end zone resulting in a touchback. Obviously, we're talking on the offensive side, like the offense nearing a a, a scoring play. Uh, keep it, change it. Let us know. Caleb Kinney, thirteen eighty on Twitter slash X. It's funny that we still refer to it as Twitter. It's easier to say. Yeah, I, I purposely don't say X because it's it's Twitter. It'll always be Twitter to me. Yes, I I fully agree. All right, so this story uh, I'll get to in a second that fell completely under the radar leading into this weekend's NFL games. But first, some breaking Pacers news. Mm. Tyrese Halliburton out for the next three games. Uh, It's not a re-injury or anything. They're just trying to do some load management after his hamstring strain. Uh, He'll be re-evaluated on Saturday. All right. I don't think it's a whole lot to be, no, nothing, be worried about. No, uh, just uh, just some rest, some, some load management. That'll help. Yeah, 
which, uh, hey, look, he's a big enough star that they're giving him load management, essentially. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. That's where we're at. That's uh, where the Pacers are at with Tyler Halliburton. All right, so this story in the NFL, and I, I, I read this yesterday, but I didn't see anything about this over the weekend. This would have been the biggest story on Friday, and granted, I wasn't in on Friday, but I don't think this made the headlines but the 49ers pursued Tom Brady last offseason before eventually handing things over to Brock Purdy as their QB1. Now, I don't know how you can slip something like this in an article and just go completely off the radar. <laughs> now, I get it. They want to promote the games at hand, but th- this is the one of the biggest stories we've seen of the season. And yet, it fell completely under the radar. This was in a profile by ESPN on Brock Purdy, but it it said um, early in the offseason, Niners coach Kyle Shanahan sat down with Purdy and assured him that if he was healthy, he would be the starter unless Brady wanted to play one more season for his hometown Niners. (laughs) I love that. You're our guy. Except when you're not. Unless this other guy wants it. Now, granted, that's not just another guy. It's the GOAT in Tom Brady. And Purdy completely understood. He said, uh, the article goes on to say, an ecstatic Purdy understood the logic, but the competitor in him also bubbled under the surface. That meant so much to me, Purdy said. I remember him saying, if we can get Tom Brady, we're going to try to get him. And I was like, yeah, he's the GOAT. I get it. And that was it in the piece about this. But you oh. have the the greatest quarterback of all time who had just retired, and yet the the hometown, and I say that loosely, I mean, Brady's from the Bay Area. Um, Close enough. The hometown team was trying to get him to come back. And remember, there was all this, you know, will he or won't he come back? And the Niners were always viewed as like that that fit if he wanted to make one last go. Well, they tried to make one last go, and it did not work. I'm just shocked this wasn't bigger news. Well, I mean, obviously, if he had decided it uh, it was, then uh, it was, he was going to play. It would be huge news, but... Uh... I guess 46 years old is the cutoff for Tom Brady in thinking he can play in the NFL. <laughs> 44? No. But uh, 46, apparently, uh, is it. We also, you and I, we talk about the the um, the switch to streaming. Yes, I saw this. This is big news this morning coming out of the world of wrestling. And that Monday Night Raw will, beginning in January of 2025, be exclusively streamed on Netflix. Not on cable. Netflix. So live sporting events coming to Netflix. Is this the first live? No, they, they did a live like golf thing. Okay. Back in the summer or fall. But dabbling in more and more now into live sport. And Raw is, is a big deal. A $5 billion, billion with a B, investment uh, to be the exclusive home of WWE's raw 10 year deal for $5 billion. Dare I say this is bigger for Netflix than it is for WWE. I feel like Netflix is actually at a desperation stage of trying to stay relevant now that they have increased competition and they don't have all the exclusive rights to all these TV shows and their original content is hit or miss and, you know, losing subscribers from you know making the changes they made, 
I think Netflix is still king. Oh, they're still everybody's still chasing king, but they're falling behind in live sport. That's for sure. And so this is definite play, and uh, I think it's a good move because it's not the NFL or whatever. But the uh, wrestling fans are loyal, and they don't miss Raw or they don't miss uh, any of these weekly shows. And so anybody who doesn't have Netflix is going to get it because wrestling fans are dedicated and they will get Netflix for this. So in the streaming wars and everybody whining about Peacock and I have to do this, that it's not going away. In fact, it's going to become more and more of a thing coming up on the other side. Maybe this will become less of a thing after I tell you about this story, a woman arrested after police found her with $2,500 worth in this in her car after a reported shoplifting incident. That's next. Caleb and Kenny in the morning, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Wrapping it up real quick here on a Tuesday and the popularity for Stanley Cups, not the Stan- not Lord Stanley's Cup, uh-huh. but Stanley Cups has probably never been higher, but a woman in California has been accused of stealing a shopping cart full of them without paying them. Uh, this was in Roseville, California. Police responded to a call on January 17th about a shoplifting incident. 23-year-old woman refused to stop for the retail staff, stuffed her car with stolen merchandise. Officers spotted the suspect's vehicle as it entered the highway and after a search, discovered 65 Stanley products valued at $2,500. Hmm. What was her plan? They suspect the merchandise stolen from multiple stores. Oh. My, my guess would be her to plan... Them? It was resell, and police even posted a photo of a trunk full of the Stanley cups. So I have one that's more like a water bottle, okay, and it's nice, but I don't have the cups because a they're way too big. B I don't like the straw. Yeah, and C I don't need to be trendy. Um, I get that these are very popular for people, but it seems like excessive. The forty ounce quencher model—that's the popular one—retails average of forty-five dollars. Very popular among women and teens. Yes. Very much a status symbol. Uh, yeah. Joey Molinero yeah. um, did a, a bit as uh, Stanley's and Seinfeld. I think it came out over the weekend. Check it out. Hilarious. Well, is Instagram. it Kramer basically saying, they're cups, Jerry? Uh, it's, it's, it's Kramer, George, and Jerry debating the Stanley Cups. <laughs> sure, it's that's hysterical. Great. Check it out. All right, that wraps it up for us today. Dan Patrick up next. The Herd with Colin Coward at noon. Indiana Sports Beat with Jim Coyle from 3 to 4. And the Sports Rush with Brett Rump from 4 to 6. Here today on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.